Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Hey everybody, uh, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Uh, welcome those of you in our e-service, those of you who are tuning in online. Uh, welcome. I was gone uh, last week, and uh, whenever I'm gone, I'm reminded of how much uh, I love this place, how much I love you guys. And I, I want you to know that uh, God is doing so many things. He is so active. I felt like, uh, even just last week, I felt like I do when I'm watching a, a really exciting sporting event at my house, and I go to my kitchen, and I'm trying to get something but not lose sight of the, of the TV because I don't want to miss anything. A few weeks ago, we had a newcomer's uh, luncheon here, and it was a great time just to meet people who were brand new to the church. And a woman came about a half hour late. Uh, she came walking in. She had been watching online, had never been here in person, but heard us talk about a newcomer's luncheon and decided to come. You know, some of us saw her walk in, so we went over to her, and she uh, said through tears, I'm not a Christian, but I want to know God. And I was able to say to her, you have come to exactly the right place. And since that time, she has come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. How cool is that? Yeah. You can... And then uh, Len Trail Abstin. Len Trail is one of our church planters this year. He's going to plant, uh, launch a church in Euclid uh, by the end of this year. You know, he's been doing contact work up in Euclid. It's hard work. It's good work. But he made inroads to their high school, and he actually started a Bible study, and two students uh, came to know Jesus in the last week and a half. I just think God is doing stuff. Yeah. And I want you to know that uh, you're a part of that. Uh, your prayers, your giving... Uh, makes you a participant in those things. I always think that uh, giving to a church is a little bit like investing in a mutual fund, where you don't know where everything goes, but you're a part of all the ministry here when you pray, 
when you give, so thanks. All right. We are in the second week of our 10-week series on the Gospel of Mark, calling the one true king, the one true king. Oh, make sure you take advantage of everything you can in these 10 weeks. If you haven't gotten one of our, our like guides through Mark that we are making available out in the atrium, make sure you grab one of those today. If you have never been, if you haven't been to the kids area, you should walk down there sometime today. The kids are learning the same. I love our kids team and they are learning the same thing that we are learning here, but they're doing it a little bit different way. All the kids down there are detectives and they're looking for evidence to find out who the one true king is. And I love that we are teaching our kids when they're young the evidence for their faith. Anyway, uh, we are in the second week. Uh, if you missed last week, go back and uh, catch it. Zach did a wonderful job kicking off this series. We're in Mark chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you, have a, if you want to use one of our Bibles in the pew here over in East Hall, it's on page 786, I believe. But in this passage that we just had read, it's a very dramatic passage. Right? Some people bring a guy who's paralyzed uh, the crowd has gotten so big in the house where Jesus is teaching that they can't get near to Jesus, not even within shouting range. So they go up on the roof of the house, they dig through the roof, and then let this guy down by ropes. Super dramatic. By the way, a lot of pressure on Jesus at that time. Right? Can you imagine if they lower this guy down, and Jesus looks at him and goes, Ooh, that's a tough one. That's uh, above my pay grade. Can't do it, right? But of course, Jesus doesn't say that because there's nothing above the pay grade for the one true king. But Jesus has been healing people all throughout chapter 1. But here he does something different. Instead of just healing this guy who is paralyzed, he says to him, your sins are forgiven. And that one line is what separates Christianity from all other religions. Listen, if you are here or you are watching online or you, are, so you got this link sent to you and you're trying to figure out Christianity and you're looking at other religions, ask this question, how can I be forgiven? That is the most important Question. There is no greater answer than the answer to that question. So make sure you ask that question of any religion you're looking at. Anyway, these guys come, they dig a hole, and they lower this guy down, and all they bring is need. All they bring is brokenness. They don't offer Jesus any money to heal them, to heal their friend. The, the, the friend, the paralytic, doesn't say, oh, listen, if you heal me and I can walk, I will follow you. I will serve you the rest of my life. There's none of that. They're just asking Jesus for a straight-up gift. Jesus isn't obligated. They have nothing to obligate him to do this. That's called grace. And grace is the cornerstone of Christianity. And I want to, my, for my three points, I want to pull out three kind of qualities of the grace that Jesus shows this man who's a paralytic. 
and the same grace that he shows us. First, it's offensive grace. Second, it's aggressive grace. And third, it's costly grace. Right? It's <clears throat> offensive, it's aggressive, it's costly. First, it's offensive grace. This is verse 4 through 7. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? There are a few ways that what Jesus does right there is offensive. First, it's pretty obvious what this guy's need is, right? What he's come to Jesus for. He's come to Jesus because he's paralyzed and he wants to be able to walk, right? But Jesus gives him a different diagnosis, right? It's like Jesus says, oh yeah, yeah, no, that's not your real problem. That sure seemed like his problem. That seemed like his if-only problem. Like your biggest problem in your life is your if-only problem. The if-only problem is where you say, if only I could have this. If only this was different. If only my children were well. If only I had this kind of, if only this, then I would be okay. This guy's if-only problem seems absolutely obvious, that he's paralyzed. Now, I think being paralyzed is hard under the best circumstances. But in the first century, I think it was awful. But Jesus looks at him and he says, no, no, no. That's not your biggest problem. You know what I, I figured out about my problems is that I have problems, but I am always like one phone call away from a bigger problem that will swallow up all my problems. Right? Uh, I remember uh, eating at a seafood restaurant, and I saw uh, my, on my menu, it looked something like, like this. It's, wait, look something like this. There we go. That's the way problems are. Like if, if you, like I feel like I have problems, but if I get a phone call with a particular diagnosis or I get a phone call about an accident, then all the problems I thought I had go away. Right? They seem insignificant. Jesus says to this man, oh, you think being a paralytic is your biggest problem, but your biggest problem is not that. Your biggest problem is your sin. And that's the second way he's offensive. I mean, what he tells this guy is, your problem's not out there. Your problem's not something that's been done to you or something that can be done. Your problem is that you are, have sinned. You're completely responsible for your deepest problem. It's on you, right? You're a problem. You're a real problem. That's what Jesus says to this guy. It's astounding, right, that he would say it like that. And he's saying to this guy, your deepest problem is not what you think. That's like, you know, you, you go to a delicatessen to get something and you say, hey, I'll, I'll take a quarter pound of this. You walk outside. If that was like Jesus, somebody says, oh, what did Jesus give you? And you say, well, I asked for him, but he gave me this. Like, gave me something completely different. Jesus says to this guy, your sins are your biggest problem. And then he says... I'm the one who can forgive your sins. 
And that's just a very, very strange thing to say. Because whenever I, I oh, let, let me ask you this. When was the last time you forgave anyone of anything? All right? If you can't think of the last time you forgave somebody, that could be a problem. Because human beings, we're like porcupines. Right? We're, we live with other porcupines. We're always getting stuck by somebody. Right? When you get stuck, when somebody sticks you, you are hurt. That's the point, so that you then have to forgive. That's why forgiveness has to happen. But here, uh, Jesus doesn't forgive him for something that he's done to Jesus. As far as we know, they've never met each other. Whenever I talk about forgiveness, I use the same illustration. I say, uh, yeah, my car is parked out in the parking lot. If uh, your car is parked next to my car and you pull out and you happen to swipe my car and you dent it, and I walk out and I say, what happened? And you say, Oof, I dented your car. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Right? That makes sense. But if I go out and you have hit somebody else's car and I walk by and I say, hey, listen, don't worry about it. I forgive you. And I keep walking. Right? Whoever's car that is that you dented is kind of going, what? Like, what is that about? That's why when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, the religious leaders who are around, their heads almost explode because they're saying, wait, wait. They understand what Jesus is claiming. What Jesus is saying is, listen, all the sins you've ever done. It's like Jesus is saying to this guy, listen, I forgive you for lying to your wife. I forgive you for cheating your employer. I forgive you for screaming at the vendor. I forgive you. What Jesus is saying is that everything you have ever done, I have the authority to forgive you because it wasn't just them, it was me, and I can pay your debt, which we'll get to in a minute. All right, so one of the big dangers of being a Christian for any length of time is we forget how offensive grace is. You forget that, that Jesus has said to you, listen, your biggest problem is you, your heart, your sin. And I am the one who can solve that, who can forgive you, and I'm the only one who can do it. Both those things are hard to swallow. But that's the only medicine that can really heal what's wrong deep down inside of our souls. All right, so that's the first thing. It's offensive grace. The second thing is it's aggressive grace. And I love, I love this, that Jesus' grace is aggressive. Scholars and theologians have noticed for centuries something weird about this story. And the thing that's weird is that uh, this guy never asked for forgiveness. He doesn't ask. It, all the way through the Bible, that's the condition of forgiveness. You have to ask. You know, that... 1 John 1.9, if, that's conditional, we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But this guy doesn't ask. So how does he get forgiven? And that's why I say Jesus' grace has to be so aggressive for him. And I love that Jesus' grace is aggressive because I'm not aggressive with my grace. Like if somebody hurts me, even if it's my wife, who I adore. If she does something and she doesn't, didn't mean it, but it hurt me, and she comes up to me and she says, Joe, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I say yes, but inside I'm going, hmm, kind of. 
I need time. I need some time, right? And that's somebody who loves me, right? Jesus is so aggressive with his grace. He tells a story in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. When this boy goes to his father and he says basically to his father, I want to live as if you're already dead. Give me my inheritance now. And the father does. And he goes and he spends it on wild living, comes staggering back, smelling of reeking of alcohol and dissipation. And his dad, instead of standing there like I would have, I would have just stood there and waited for him to come all the way. And then I would have gone, how'd that work out for you, son? Right? You, you feeling really good right now? I bet your head hurts. You know, something like that. <laughs> but in Jesus' story, the father runs to him. Runs to him. And before the son can even get a whole sentence out, the father wraps his arms around him and says, welcome home. Welcome home. That's aggressive grace. So how does this guy get forgiven? Did, did Jesus not know the rule that somebody has to ask before they can be forgiven? I think this is the secret. This is verse 8. You know, when, when Jesus forgives this guy, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they start to think something about Jesus. And then in verse 8 it says, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? See what it says. It says that, that Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. That means Jesus' grace is so aggressive with this man that even his inarticulate longing in his heart that he didn't even say out loud was enough for Jesus to pour grace into him and say, your sins are forgiven. That means wherever you are on the spectrum of belief, like whether you're all the way over here, I feel like this is where I am. I, I, I am all in. I buy it all. I believe everything about the Bible. Or if you are way over here where you're saying, you know what, I believe some, but I'm not sure how much I believe. What Jesus is looking for is just a crack to flood you with grace so deep, so Furious is his love for you, his desire for relationship with you. It's aggressive grace. Finally, it's, it's costly grace. It's costly grace. You know, I think grace is kind of on a, on a continuum. Like uh, you can have a small little bit of grace or you can have larger amounts of grace that are needed. Like uh, my wife and I were in Florida last week. And we were with some friends, and we were on our way to the beach. And my wife uh, asked our friends, hey, could you pull over into that Walgreens so we can get some sunscreen? We had forgotten sunscreen. And we, they pulled over into Walgreens, and then Karen turned to me and said, do you have your wallet? I was like, oh, you should have asked that before. <laughs> I didn't have my wallet. So I had to ask my friend, can you spot, spot, spot me $10, right? I knew he wasn't going to ask for it back, so it really was just a gift, right? So that's a little bit of grace. Right? A lot of people can give that kind of grace. A lot of you could give me $10 today, which you are free to do right after the service. <laughs> but there's deeper grace, right? Jesus asked this rhetorical question 
where he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? We're saying, which, which is harder to do? Which takes more grace? I always think, um, I've met some orthopedic surgeons who I, I know think in their heads, I'd like to get, give that guy a shot. I might be able to make him walk, and they're right. There are some orthopedic surgeons who go to this church who have operated on people that could not walk, and then after they're operated on, can actually walk. That's a lot, that's a deeper level of need, so that takes more grace. And only a few people, maybe a handful of people, can do that. But when Jesus says, which is easier, to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, or to say your sins are forgiven, there's only one who can forgive sins. It's the one who can pay for sins. Like, go back to the car illustration. Like, the reason I use that is because if you hit my car, and I walk out there, and I say, what happened? And you say, I hit your car. Will you forgive me? And I say, I forgive you. That doesn't mean no one pays. It means you don't pay. It means I pay. That means that if I walk out there and you've hit somebody else's car and I say, listen, don't worry about it, you're forgiven, what that other person has a right to say to me is, who's going to pay? Are you going to pay? And if I say, yes, I'm going to pay, then that person is forgiven. When Jesus says this single line to this guy, when he says, Mark chapter 2, very early on in Mark, when he says, your sins are forgiven, do you realize that at that moment, Jesus had to go to the cross, even if this was the only guy in the world? Because what Jesus was telling him, every single sin you have ever done, I'll pay for. I'll pay for. I have another question. How do you measure love? Right? How do you measure how much you love anyone, love anything? In some ways, it's how much you're willing to pay, at least in some way. That's why we have engagement rings. Like when, when I wanted to ask my wife Karen to marry me, I was in college, and I was really poor. Like when I tell people I was really poor, what I mean is I was, uh, I was turned down for a Sunoco credit card, right? For, <laughs> that was back when the world didn't work on credit. So I only had the money I had in the bank. I didn't have much money in the bank, but I took every dime I had out. And I went to a jeweler, and I said, give me the best ring you can give me for this amount of money. It's all I have. Why was I willing to do that? Love. That's how you measure love. When Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven, he is saying, I will pay for all your sins, if it costs me every drop of blood in my body. And he says the same thing to you. Do you realize how amazing that is? That here already in Mark chapter 2, Mark is giving us the key to all of our lives. The key, he's answering the question, how can I be forgiven? And what he tells us is first that grace is offensive 
What grace says is that the problem is not what's happened to you. The problem is not that you're a victim. The pro- your biggest problem is that you're a sinner. But that this grace is aggressive. And all Jesus needs is a tiny crack and he will flood your life with grace. So desperate he is to have a relationship with you. And finally, it's a costly grace. It's a grace that only one could pay. And he did it with his blood for you, the one true king. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I come to you and I'm uh, so grateful. I am grateful for the story. I'm grateful for the drama of this story. I'm grateful uh, for how it shows uh, Jesus' love for us, for me. I pray that every person here would uh, be able to understand grace in its fullness, that it It is offensive, it is aggressive, it is costly, and it is absolutely wonderful. I cannot imagine what it would be like to find out that you were saying to me, uh, I'm not going to forgive any of your sins. If I ever heard that, all my other problems would disappear because that would be the biggest problem of all. And you came to solve that. So thank you. I pray for all of us now that we will uh, be able to receive that grace in such a way and experience your love in such a way that you change us from the inside out. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.